a big thank you to all my patrons who support the Engineer Mind podcast. Hi and welcome to the Engineer Mind podcast episode 66. In this podcast we cover topics such as engineering, AI, neuroscience, life and other interesting topics and fascinating ideas to educate, inspire and engineer people's minds all around the world. I'm your host Josef and for this episode of the podcast I'm very excited to welcome Hai Feng Jing to my show. Hai Feng is a software engineer on Keras team at Google. He's the creator of AutoKeras, co-author of Keras Tuner and a contributor to Keras and TensorFlow. Haifeng got his PhD in computer science at Texas A&M University and his research interest is automated machine learning, short AutoML. In this podcast we covered the principles of automated machine learning, AutoML algorithm choice, how AutoML works under the hood, advantages but also limitations of AutoML, Haifeng's book called Automated Machine Learning in Action and much more. For updates on upcoming podcast projects and videos make sure to follow me on Twitter as well as on Instagram. To join my weekly newsletter, engineermind.sh, where I share exclusive content, visit yusef.substack.com. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's my podcast with Haifeng Jing. Hey, Haifeng, welcome to my show. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very excited and honored to be here with you. Thank you so much. I'm also very excited and honored to have you on my show. Today, we will talk about automated machine learning and kind of talk about the differences between the classical machine learning approach and automated machine learning. But before we jump into the very interesting topics of automated machine learning, can you give us like a one minute um, quick bio? What, who is Haifeng? What do you actually do? Uh, yeah, so my name is Haifeng Jane, and currently I'm a full-time software engineer at Google. I'm uh, working on the Keras team, which is a sub-team of uh, the TensorFlow team, and uh, I'm uh, I'm uh, contributing to the Keras uh, project, and at the same time, I'm responsible for uh, the AutoML stack of this Keras and TensorFlow ecosystem, which mainly uh, the project of uh, Keras Tuner and AutoKeras, mainly these two projects, and also uh, I am uh, co-authored a book of uh, automated machine learning in action with mm -hmm. uh, many publications. Very exciting. And to everyone listening to this podcast, I will put a link to Haifeng's book, which he wrote with another colleague uh, down in the description. You'll get a 40% discount code. So make sure to check it out. It's very beautifully written and we'll talk about the book uh, today. What, what I want to talk about maybe as a first question, what's the main difference between classical machine learning approach and automated machine learning? So automated machine learning uh, is kind of uh, partly automated the manual work that in traditional machine learning. In traditional machine learning, they really have a very high standards and threshold for the practitioners. They need to know those algorithms and to need to understand all those math in order to design and implement a good model. But the automated machine learning automates some parts of the selection of the models and tuning of models and training of models. So. Um, it kind of lowering the threshold and the requirements for a practitioner to adopt machine learning as their solution. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. That means basically someone like a doctor who has maybe no background or a little background in machine learning could use something like AutoML to Im include maybe in cancer uh, treatment, things like that. Yes, that's true. That's beautiful. Um, could you maybe walk us through maybe how the pipelines differentiate between classical machine learning and auto machine learning. Is there like a difference between like how you build the pipeline, the machine learning pipeline? Um, 
so automated machine learning aims to give different uh, people with different backgrounds with uh, the most suitable APIs and tools for them. So, for example, there's a complete beginner in machine learning. They can build a pipeline without actually specifying any parts of the pipeline. They, they just provide the data set and um, tell the, the library what their task is, like a, a classification, whether it's uh, positive or negative, like two-class two classification. Then um, the AutoML system will build this pipeline based on trial and error and evaluations to try to build different pipelines for them and evaluate on their data set provided and try to select a good pipeline for them. But for more advanced users, they probably already have a rough idea like what kind of pipelines they are looking for. And in this situation, they can um, just to give a high level specification like what modules they would like to use, for example, normalization and uh, data augmentation but they don't really need to specify all the operations in that data augmentation uh, steps, or they, they want to use feature engineering. They don't need to manually feature engineer every uh, column of the data in order to create new features or, or select some good features, but they only need to specify the high level modules they want to use. And then, after building this uh, pipeline with these modules, there were a lot of uh, details to specify, but uh, these details will, again, left to the AutoML system to uh, decide and select based on the data set and models and evaluations. I see. Yes, very good that you also mentioned feature engineering. Like, what kind of things can you adapt in the AutoML pipeline? Let's say, for example, um, a doctor comes, has kind of images, like wants to do convolutional neural network architecture, um, has maybe no idea how to build it from scratch. Um, what does the doctor have to take care of in an AutoML algorithm, let's say? Because I, I would assume for AutoML, it chooses from a bunch of algorithms. But how does AutoML know which algorithm is the best for this specific purpose? Um, mainly, uh, still... Uh, whether how to know which model is best comes from two sources. One is the knowledge of uh, a specific doctor. Mm -hmm. He knows what the data looks like, what models might be good. For example, convolutional neural networks. If, the, if that doctor already know this, and this would uh, uh, dramatically reduce the search space for, for the AutoML system. And uh, the other is just based on trying different models on this uh, uh, or trying different models on this data set. But uh, it's not like uh, trying completely from scratch or trying completely blind. It's like we already know some models that uh, have very good performance probably on similar tasks. As long as the doctor specified he wants to do image classification, and we already know that there were several models or pipelines that's good for other image classification tasks. We're probably going to begin with these models. And uh, based on the evaluation uh, results of this list of models, we can then use an algorithm to decide which to go next, probably pick uh, two or three good performing models in this list and uh, keep modifying the details of the models, then in order to come up with a good model.
I see. Is it kind of prescribed from AutoML in the sense of, let's say, we want to do a specific task and we have a pool of algorithms that it's already knowing, okay, I want to do CNN, then I choose maybe five to 10 algorithms which perform best? Or is it like kind of already knowing where it wants to go towards, maybe in terms of algorithms? How does it actually work? Is it like kind of a for loop running the best and choosing the best algorithm? Or how does it work under the hood? Oh, so you can think the first step is um, a small for loop that uh, mm -hmm. iterate all already known models and uh, evaluate these models. So this would uh, create some, uh, they're going to be, uh, you can think as a surrogate model or meta model. Now we, we usually call it a surrogate model. Mm -hmm. So the, the surrogate model uh, needs some training instances, but it's different from the data set provided by the doctors. The surrogate model needs the training instance. The features are models. And the, the, the target, prediction targets, are the performance of these models. So basically, the surrogate model is trying to learn the relation between uh, the models and their performances on this task. So we begin with this known to have good performance models list and evaluate them. We have some initial data to train this surrogate model. And again, we have another for loop to every time the first step of this for loop is for the surrogate model to generate the specifications of the new model that looks like it's going to have a good performance. Mm -hmm. And the second step is going to be just evaluate the model. And the third step is to feedback that uh, new evaluation results, the model specification, and the performance of that model on the given task. Feedback means just to further train the surrogate model with uh, this one more instance. And that's the main three steps of this second for loop. And uh, the first, uh, so it comes back to the first step to generate another model specification evaluated and uh, feedback. Yeah, that's beautiful. So I have to be honest, like I didn't know about Autocaros before this uh, podcast when I invited you. So it's kind of for me a, a relatively new thing. So there is from the um, from the approach on how you tackle Autobells, basically you have the search space, the search strategy of algorithms, also the performance evaluation, which you also described um, answering the last question. How is this something your team is actively working on, like how to make this faster in terms of search space, the strategy, and also performance evaluation? Or is this also on the user? Or are you trying to basic, basically automate everything from uh, beginning to the end of a machine learning pipeline? Uh, currently, based on the state of the art, it's not possible to really automate everything. Mm -hmm. What we're trying to automate is for uh, from where the user already know what their task is mm -hmm. and already have a well-prepared and large enough data set. And from this point on, we try to automate everything until there is a good model trained, selected, and specified and trained on their given data and ready to use to have this model. So from uh, uh, in this range, all the work we are trying to uh, automate. But uh, later, after we got the model, there are still need to be some uh, engineers try to deploy the model based on their real needs. For example, uh, they want to deploy on the edge devices. They mm -hmm. need to somehow 
compress a model or compile a model in a different way, or they want to do a real-time large-scale inferences, they need to deploy a model on uh, several servers and run in parallel. And these all require some more engineering work that's hard to uh, automate. And, and before the process, we can automate, the user also need to like collect the data set and really get to know what their task is and need to understand the metrics, how to evaluate their task in order to select a good model. Right? Mm -hmm. When someone has no idea about how to use machine learning, like basically from scratch and use, wants to use Automel, like a doctor, for example, um, which we already mentioned, um, what are the steps that a user has to take for Automel, maybe like Autocaras, um, how does it work from, from the principles? Does he have to program something by himself or does it still require an engineer to do the, the programming work? Uh, I think it's not hard to uh, not hard to program by himself, uh, him or herself, because it's only require a few lines of code mm -hmm. as long as they don't have uh, uh, a very clear idea like what model should be look like. If they have a clear idea, then, then there will be more code. But uh, if they just want to quickly try whether this worked for their task or not, uh, they, they can just uh, try it by themselves and not having any engineers. Uh, because, uh, and, uh, because usually uh, the data set owners, they, they don't really have a clear idea of uh, what they want to do with this model later. For example, they just want to try what they can find with this model instead of uh, deploy this model for real-time inferences uh, or have some real applications. So in this case, uh, the engineering work should be much easier because they only need to run this AutoML system for once and get all the results, get all the models and do some inferences to see the test results. And that's it. So this real, really doesn't need that much of engineering work and doesn't require extra engineer to help them do this, as long as they can do some basic Python uh, coding and it's not hard for them to adopt these AutoML systems for their task. I see. Uh, thank you so much for explaining this in detail. Also, when it comes to the resources that are used, is there kind of a number of how many resources in terms of time and computational resources we save by using AutoML? Do you have an idea? Um, I don't think it can actually save any computational resources. Mm -hmm. uh, it can only save computational resources after it's run. So for example, uh, this is a, uh, I have to be honest that this feature is not in Autocaris yet, but uh, uh, there should be a feature in the future for most of the AutoML system that the user can specify some, uh, uh, whether it's, uh, uh, for, for example, the inference time of a model or the memory size the model will mm -hmm. occupy. And uh, they can set an upper bound or dynamically set, uh, uh, attach a weight to this metric. And uh, afterwards, the bottom-up system may find, may found a very small model that the user can deploy on a small device. Mm -hmm. Then for this case, after the deployment, actually they save some like power electricity electricity or save uh, the expense for a large machine or, or, or something. But during the running of the AutoML system, it's not saving any resources. But uh, 
using much, much more resources than tra training a classical machine learning model because RML system is going to train a lot of models. And those models have uh, a large variance. Some of them are very large and some of them um, have very different requirements of the hardware. For example, uh, some pipelines leverage the a parallel like multi-core CPU a lot. And um, in this case, that uh, RML is only consuming more computational resources instead of uh, reducing the computational resources. I see. When it comes to the time spent on uh, investigating these models, would you say that maybe sometimes if someone has no idea about machine learning, that sometimes RML could be faster because it's having its own search space and its search strategy? Um, that sometimes if you have no idea which algorithm to pick, you might be faster using AutoML. Have you experienced that in the past maybe from some users? Uh, yes. So if uh, you count the time for the user to learn the machine learning algorithms and all those knowledges before they develop their own machine learning model, then AutoML is definitely much, much faster because learning definitely takes longer, usually months in order to for one to be able to build a basic but good machine learning model for their tasks. And AutoML definitely won't take that much time to run for a single task as long as you have a reasonable uh, computational resource. Mm, I see. So, so you now working in the sub-team of the TensorFlow team, could you maybe give us like an impression of where TensorFlow sits in this whole ecosystem? Then we have the Keras API, we have the Keras Tuner, and we have uh, Autokeras. Like we have four components, and where does it sit in terms of usability and maybe simplicity? Maybe you could kind of rank them. So uh, for TensorFlow, in, yeah, TensorFlow itself is like a solid foundation for this deep learning uh, applications or system. Mm -hmm. um, it can do automated differentiations and uh, uh, also uh, deploy in various environments uh, with all the corresponding libraries like uh, TensorFlow Lite, TensorFlow JS for the user to deploy their model in various environments. And um, also capable of uh, various tensor operations like multiplication or, or uh, reduction, a lot of things, a lot of uh, tensor operations that uh, TensorFlow can do. But uh, in terms of uh, building uh, quickly build a machine learning model, like deep learning model, uh, a deep neural network. Uh, you really, uh, if you always using these low level uh, tensor operation APIs, it's not very efficient for an engineer. So they, they usually want to have some high level APIs, like whenever they specify a fully connect layer, they don't want to write like a matrix multiplication and add the bias. And, everything by themselves. Mm -hmm. So care provide this high-level API, they can just uh, write uh, dense, which is a class, initialize this uh, uh, instance and uh, pass the parameters they want to use, and then a layer is ready to use. And so care is, is based on TensorFlow to wrap those, encapsulate those low-level tensor operations into a high-level API that make the user have shorter learning curves and uh, uh, sh short code 
to develop a deep learning model. Mm-hmm. And but it doesn't really limit the user ability to define arbitrary models. But uh, the logic be- behind Keras is to let the user only learn what they need. Um, at first, they don't need to learn much, just to specify all the layers they want to use with names and parameters, and then the model is ready. Mm-hmm. And, but uh, some users may want to have uh, something more customized. Like they want a, a layer, a, a completely new layer doesn't exist before. It exists before. And uh, so they can learn how to subclass the layer class, base layer class. And, uh, and if, for example, they, they want to use a custom training loop for the model, then, then they can override some functions in, in that model class. And uh, so as long uh, uh, as they want to implement something more customized and something more complicated, they can gradually learn how to use this library and uh, various features of this library. They don't have to learn everything up front. So that, that's the logic behind how we design this API. And um, after that, the, we will introduce the dimension of uh, time for the engineer to develop uh, a solution. So usually the engineer is going to try different models and tune the uh, different hyperparameters like the learning rates and the number of layers and number of new runs in each layer. And uh, so through time, the engineer is going to try a, a number of different models and uh, uh, see whether these mod- uh, how good these models perform and uh, in order to select the best model and to, this process is like a loop, keep trying different models. And uh, Keras Tuner is trying to automate this loop. Uh, the engineer, instead of directly building a model, but the engineer gonna write a function, uh, what, uh, build a model with all the hyperparameters. For example, originally you write for I, in range uh, three, then it's just going to be three layers. But now, uh, for I in range hyperparameter dot something like from one to eight, then, then it's going to be a hyperparameter used in this place. And uh, so the engineer going to use these hyperparameters to build a model. And uh, actually, it's not a model, but a space of models when the engineer uses these hyperparameters to build a model. And Keras um, Tuner are going to use this function to generate a lot of models and evaluate them. And uh, uh, of course, based on some algorithm in a smart way to explore this uh, search space and finally pick a best model for the engineer. But uh, you know, in this process, the engineer have to know have to have uh, enough knowledge to know uh, what the model looks like exactly, like each layer and each hyperparameter. And they need to have a rough idea like the range of uh, each hyperparameter. So this rather have a very high requirement for for the user. Mm-hmm. And uh, But AutoCaris is based on Keras Tuner. We have some predefined search spaces. Um, we already know that we should use convolutional layers for image classification. So we built a pretty good search space for these convolutional neural networks. So the user doesn't have to build this space for 
for themselves. The, the user doesn't have to write hyperparameters or something in order to build them up. So the other carrots can, again, encapsulate this consumer uh, API into something extremely simple. The user don't really need to specify anything, but only pass in the data set and the task. This is this was I think beautifully explained. I really much appreciate it. Uh, this was perfect, beautiful, and we can I think extract this as a clip lock when people want to know the difference between TensorFlow and all these other things we mentioned. So I really much appreciate it. When it comes to classical machine learning and AutoML, what are the limitations of classical machine learning that maybe coincide with the ones from AutoML, or does AutoML have some own limitations? Um, first, AutoML is definitely limited by the limitations of uh, classical machine learning because AutoML doesn't, uh, doesn't really uh, leverage any models that outside of uh, the traditional machine learning scope. Um, but there, in, in research, when people try out AutoML, some, one are trying to, some people are trying to let AutoML to design completely new models. But even in those cases, um, those new models are still based on the traditional primitives. They use these primitives to build the new model. Still doesn't totally jump out of the scope of uh, traditional machine learning. Um, so it's definitely limited by all the limitations of uh, traditional machine learning. Like uh, they have to rely on a very large data set and uh, 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 since we are mainly focusing on deep learning models and uh, it are also limited by some uh, uh, limitation for deep learning, like uh, it really doesn't have a very good explainability. When we mm -hmm. have a good model with performance, we cannot really explain for each prediction the model makes. Like, like uh, the model predicts for a patient to have a certain kind of disease as positive. Um, and we want the model to explain why it made such a prediction but the model cannot tell you why. And th this is a very important limitation of uh, deep learning. And uh, AutoML definitely limited by these limitations, but uh, there were some more limitations to you know, AutoML. Um, uh, the most important one is like, uh, for example, feature engineering. This is somewhere uh, the limitation is most obvious. Um, uh, for example, you do a Titanic data set, you, uh, you compete on, on Kaggle. Many people know this data set. It's mm -hmm. like provided some features of the passengers of Titanic. And uh, uh, we want to predict whether this passenger survived or not in the end. And um, this data set, if you want to have a good performance on it, you have to do some feature engineering, right? like uh, uh, drop some columns and uh, created some new columns based on the external, uh, existing uh, columns. And in that way you can, uh, then you have a machine learning model come in to uh, train on these new features. And this feature engineering process would actually require a lot of uh, understanding of the meaning of these columns. For example, you, you know that the name of a passenger doesn't really uh, have that much influence on the result. But so having this feature feed to the uh, machine learning model will definitely involve a lot of noise for, for a model, then the model probably gonna not have that good performance. So we really drop these columns. But for automotive system, it's hard for it to know that this column doesn't really do anything to the 
the machine learning model, but only negative impacts. So uh, this limitation is uh, some work, some parts of the pipeline requires a deep understanding of the data set and the problem, usually domain knowledge from human experts in that field. And this is something that autonomous system cannot help. It had to be an input from a human being to the autonomous system. And uh, some knowledge are not that explicit and hard to describe and cannot be input to an autonomous system. So this is the most important limitation of autonomous system. I see. That's so interesting. Are there any developments? Of course, you cannot lead like every information, but are there any developments maybe going, let's say, in the future, two or three years, maybe five years, where you would wish the AutoML system would be data agnostic in the sense of you give it data and it would automatically figure out that what it has to do? Is that the main, maybe one of the main goals of AutoML? Yes, yes, definitely. But uh, um, that's the ideal case. But what we are really aiming at on the current stage is how to have this communication channel between the AutoML system and the human experts. We have we want to provide a very easy interface, no matter it's graphical or command interface, for the user to easily put their knowledge into this AutoML system. Currently, we, we are mainly letting the users put their knowledge about what model looks like to the autonomous system. But uh, afterwards, we want to let the user somehow put also their knowledge about that data set. And uh, uh, a lot of uh, characteristics and features of the data set uh, and their understanding of the data set also into this autonomous system in order to um, guide this system to find a really specific model for the pets. I see. That's so interesting. I'm very... Um, let's see what the future brings. I'm very excited to see what the future brings on AutoML. Um, where do you see like the, the biggest influence AutoML might have like in specific domains? We talked about medicine. Do you see any like big, big domains which could you make use out of uh, AutoML? Um, it's hard to say any specific domains, but uh, uh, I think uh, our main user base currently uh, is the startup companies. Uh, so the, they usually have uh, very different domains from one another, but uh, they're in a similar situation that they don't have the extra uh, money to hire some very experienced engineers, especially machine learning engineers, to develop an application for, for their start, startup. And many startup requires um, a website or something, and uh, they usually have some data set, and they want to do some inference for, from their data set. And uh, they all have such needs. So that's where uh, the current automatic system comes in, and uh, they can just uh, use these automatic systems and to, in order to get a good model and deploy a model on their uh, website to do real-time inferences and uh, with autonomous system, this entire process is not that hard to do anymore. Just uh, need a normal engineer knows how to deploy a model on a, a website. That should be good enough for these startups. I see. Yeah, I would also have one question on the AutoML models, like when it searches this pool of machine learning algorithms. Um, maybe it's like a redundant question, but maybe interesting to know. Let's say it would 
maybe the algorithm chooses five models, AutoML, and from four out of those five models, that would work, but only one algorithm would eventually fail because of, for various reasons. Would it be that it only skips the one where it failed, or is it like that the training automatically like collapses? How does it work? Like, does it catch the error and throw an exception, uh, but keeps training, or how does it work for AutoML? Uh, it keeps training. It keeps running to explore more models when one model fails. So if the fail is an exception, the model even build even not build successfully, mm -hmm. then it we just catch that exception and keep trying other models. And if um, that model builds successfully but have a very poor performance on this data set, um, that could be a result of various reasons. We are not sure whether this. Uh, we are not hundred percent sure that. Is because it's a bad model for this test. So it, it's not likely we're going to explore similar models for this model anymore, but uh, there's still a probability that we'll come back to a model similar to this model just to try again um, to see if a similar model to this one is going to have a good performance on the test and based on algorithm and uh, probabilities. Um, yeah, so that's are the two cases. Is it then something like, an, like a recommender system, like we know from Netflix, for example, that it gives the user some kind of um, guidelines on maybe try model X, Y, Z? Does it work like that? Or is it in development still that it gives some recommendations, like active recommendations um, to, let's say, the graphical user interface? Uh, currently, we, we don't have a, a graphical interface. The graphical user interface have to uh, develop by the user himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, we we can uh, we we integrate it with uh, TensorBoard. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we can use TensorBoard with uh, Keras Junior and Autokeras. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, that's uh, not for the very. Uh, that's for the users of uh, our libraries, but uh, not the users of the end applications, right? So for for the end applications, they have to develop their own interface. Or, or, for example, they want to serve this model with a REST API or a protobuf. They, they have to write their own code to do these. Yeah. And uh, these libraries we build are just for building and training models. Yeah, I see. But um, is it also possible that AutoML gives kind of a recommendation? Let's say one model fails, and you actually don't know why, and based on probabilities and statistics um, in general, that it would tell the user, maybe try another algorithm? Or suggesting another algorithm from this whole oh, search space? Uh, um, it uh, would not. Mm -hmm. So that requires, yeah, that's a very interesting uh, direction to explore. Um, definitely, it's going to be useful for some tests um, because it's hard to really express like what model should be good. It's hard to convey this message from. Which contain the, some metrics in the surrogate model to a human readable message to to the user. This is uh, the most uh, hard challenge in, in doing this feature, and uh, uh, but uh, this definitely going to be useful for some cases. Uh, like uh, some models would definitely have a better performance uh, as a, some, some tasks gonna definitely benefit from this interactive designing process. For example, 
we want to design a generative model mm -hmm. that used to generate some new images um, from a data set, so similar to the images in a data set. And in this case, um, if you only use the metrics, like numbers, to judge whether a model generates good models or not, this might not be uh, that sufficient for mm -hmm. this test. Sometimes we need some uh, human involvement um, to judge whether this image looks good. This is whether something we want to generate or not. Um, in this case, we have to let the user interact with the AutoML system to give feedback. First is give feedback whether this uh, image is good or bad in order to train the surrogate model. And uh, maybe the surrogate model also gave feedback to the user like uh, where to uh, build a better search space for such models. I see. Yeah, that's so interesting. Let's see what the, what the future is heading towards. I'm very, very excited to see what's coming next. Um, one last question before we jump to the book and what your book offers. Um, is there kind of a way for users who are interested in maybe listening to this podcast, like um, participating in developing of like Autocaras, things like that, would you encourage people to maybe contribute and how can they contribute to Autocaras, for example? Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, so one way is to read our, uh, for, for AutoCaris and uh, Kerasuner for these two projects, we, uh, uh, we all manage those issues and features on GitHub, uh, on the Ripple, uh, webpage, you can see there's a project tab. Mm -hmm. If you click on that, you will see AutoCaris management, a project or uh, Kerasuner management. And we list all the issues we want to do in there. And one way is just uh, if someone want to contribute, you can definitely read through those and pick one that uh, um, that is good or or suitable to find interesting. And uh, another way is just uh, contact me on Slack. We use the same Slack channel with uh, Keras repo. So if you go to the website keras.io and uh, go to community uh, page and uh, there list a uh, Slack channel, you, a Slack workspace you can join. And in that workspace, you can find the channel um, uh, uh, AutoCaras and Kerastumer. And uh, you, uh, of course, you can also uh, direct message me in, in that workspace and to just ask whether there's a feature you can pick up to work on. And besides that, we also have a monthly meeting um, that you can find on the AutoCares website. And uh, it's a Google Calendar. You just subscribe to it and will appear on uh, your Google Calendar and uh, help monthly. We, we try to coordinate the time zone, different time zones cover um, Asia and Europe and also, also America and to let everyone in different time zones can join. And uh, yeah, that's the main ways. But uh, I suggest, uh, what I mainly suggest is get contact with the team first before you're actually working on any of the features. Mm -hmm. Interesting, thanks for sharing. Of course, we cannot end the podcast by you talking about the book that you have published via Manning Publications. Can you give like uh, listeners to this podcast kind of an insight, what projects will they be working on when they get your book? What can they expect? Uh, so they will uh, be able to work on uh, some real-world data sets, and including different type of tasks, including uh, natural language, 
processing and uh, computer vision tasks, and also traditional uh, tabular, or you call it uh, structured data data sets. And um, uh, while working on these data sets, they will uh, uh, build a machine learning model on them with uh, the very low level machine learning libraries like uh, Care, uh, like TensorFlow and Keras, and also with high level automated machine learning systems like uh, Keratunary and uh, AutoCares. And they will uh, learn, uh, during this process, they will learn uh, very important concepts in automated machine learning, like uh, um, how does a surrogate model really work and how to implement their own surrogate models, uh, implement their own uh, uh, algorithm they have in mind besides those very famous algorithms for, for automated machine learning, but also how to define their own search space with different kinds of uh, uh, hyperparameters. So hyperparameters are not, are not just uh, like a Boolean int or, or uh, a selection between strings, but there are also many conditional hyperparameters that can get uh, very complicated in the search space. For example, uh, um, a parameter can be the number of layers in a model. And uh, we also have a parameter for each layer, the number of neurons in each layer. Then the first hyperparameters are going to decide how many hyperparameters that come later in, in the model. So there are a lot of different situations in you build uh, while you build a uh, search space. And uh, also, we, we're going to introduce how to scale up this uh, automated machine learning uh, process, because an automated machine learning system usually consumes more uh, computational resources than traditional machine learning uh, system because AutoML, AutoML use uh, to train uh, like uh, tens or hundreds of models in order to select the best one. So we also help you how to scale up this process to run on multiple machines, multiple GPUs uh, in order to accelerate uh, the process. Also for large data sets, so for, for toy examples for like uh, Titanic data set, we really loaded once into the uh, loaded all at once into the main memory and all the data are reading from the main memory. But for very large data sets in real world applications, they can be hard to store in memory or even on a single disk. So we will introduce how to load a large data set not at once into the memory, but batch by batch as we need it for the for training of the model and not to occupy too much space in the memory and how to use these large data sets. And also for very large models, this split across multiple GPUs. This is so interesting, I think. Thank you so much for sharing. And I, I had the PDF already. It's not finished yet, as far as I know, the, the book. But uh, from what I've seen and the PDF that I downloaded, it's beautifully written. And I think it's very, very easy to digest, especially for beginners in machine learning, maybe intermediate users who want to delve into auto machine learning. So I think uh, it makes sense if you're interested in AutoML to get the book from Haifeng and his colleague. Um, yeah, and I learned a lot this podcast from you, how AutoML actually works under the hood and some other things. So thank you so much for that. And uh, I wish you all the best for the book, that it has a big success and will reach many people. Well, thank you, Joseph. Thank you so much for inviting me again. And thank you for being a reader for, of our book. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you.